2: Described in Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone out of the way. We've turned everyone to his own way, which is out of the way. And they feel out of the way because they feel like a sheep that's gone astray. They, instead of turning to God's way, they've turned to their own way. And they're out of the way. They, they know that they're out of the way because, and they're broken. Because some are broken with a broken heart. Because they've invested their heart into a relationship And that relationship broke, and when it did, all they knew is that they were out of the way broken because of a broken heart. They invested in a relationship based on trust, and the trust had been betrayed. And they don't know what's going on, and they feel ignorant about about why or how their relationship got broken and their their friendship got broken, but they know that because of their weakness, they don't have a friendship anymore. And and they look at others who have close friends, and they just feel all the more broken broken. And out of the way because their friendship is broken. And some are broken, some are broken with a broken marriage. They had all their hopes centered on the love of their life, who became the spouse of their life. And they felt so secure as they had emerged from a life of being alone to a life of being together. But somehow, they couldn't fix those marital problems, and finally it all spun out of control, and the hopeful decree that they heard, I now pronounce you man and wife, turned into a despairing decree of, I now pronounce you divorced. And they don't know what's going on, and they feel ignorant as to why and how their marriage broke up, but they know it's because of their weakness, and they don't have a marriage anymore. And they look at others who are happily married, and they're not broken, and they just feel all the more broken with a broken future because they feel out of the way because their marriage is broken. And some were broken with a broken body. They invested in the health of their body. Oh, they watched their diet. And every day they watched their weight. They got on the scales. And they adjusted what they ate that day to keep their weight stable. And they planned their diet by reading food labels. <laughs> and they kept their cholesterol and their, uh, and their LDL down. And they watched as the HDL goes up and they worked out at the gym and they read books and they subscribed to magazines like Life Extension and they were looking at what they eat, what they should not eat and how to stay healthy. and, And after all that, and they've gone to the gym and everything, they've gone to the doctor and they've heard the most terrifying words, you have cancer or you have coronary artery disease. And they don't understand how this could be happening to them. And at first they just thought it was a bad dream but that they're going to wake up from, but it's not a bad dream. And they're all lost to understand. And How could this be happening? They don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant why their health is broken because they don't know. They look at others who are healthy and they're not broken and they feel all the more broken. With a broken future, they feel out of the way because their body is broken. And some are broken with a broken mind. They've always had an active mind. They read a lot. They listened. They analyzed. They took pleasure in just thinking. And they could remember what others forgot. Their mind was sharp. Their mind was clear. But now they're frustrated at not being able to remember the simplest things. And they they no longer can think like they used to. And they don't know what's going on. And they feel ignorant as to why and how their mind got broken. They know they're getting older. They're with age. That's what happens. Minds deteriorate with the bodies. But they can't accept it's happening to them and they don't know how they lost that healthy mind they don't know but but they look at others with a sharp with a with a strong mind and they're not broken and they feel all the more broken because their mind is broken and, and some are broken because of broken finances they worked hard they carefully saved for the future they watched what they spent money on they paid all their the insurances that they had to pay for and they thought they'd be protected they invested their money in stocks that were supposed to stay safe but Somehow, something happened to their portfolio. Or there was an unexpected disaster. Some illness they had to pay for. Some out-of-pocket expense. Water in the house that shouldn't have been in the house. A broken pipe. Water not in the house that should have been in the house. A broken well. And for any number of reasons, they find themselves with no money. Their savings have dried up. They have a mountain of bills they don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant as to why and how they lost all their money. They think back in the past, and if I only would have, and if I would have, not, and not, uh, and they look at others who are financially strong and makes them feel all the more that they're broken with broken finances, and they feel out of the way. And some are, some are broken with a broken conscience because they've tried to live by the golden rule. They tried to live good. They tried to be kind and good to others, but temptation—it was just a little too strong, and they knew it was wrong to, to steal, and, and they knew it was wrong to steal that watch from that shop, or steal that time from that boss, or push that girl, push that girl that night to impurity, or, or to look at that pornography, or, or to vent their anger with sharp words, and or, or, or just try some of those drugs. But the thought was too enticing. The thought was too entertaining. Somehow they thought. Just an act. But somehow the enticing act has become now an addiction. And now they don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant as to why this could happen. How am I trapped? They say, well, I'm trapped. I'm, try, I'm trapped trying to hide what I've done and who I am and what I'm doing. But I know I'm broken with a conscience that's weighed down with guilt and shame. And they look at others who seem to have their lives together. They're not weighed down with guilt and shame. They're not broken, and it just makes them feel all the more broken and feel out of the way because they're trapped in a routine of sin. And so when Boaz looks at Ruth and her situation, Boaz sees a person that's broken in her aloneness and her isolation and her fear, and as Boaz looks at Ruth, he sees a Moabite in a strange country among a strange people, and Boaz sees in Ruth a person who was out of the way compared to the rest of the Jewish people. And he was able to have compassion on her. And when the Lord Jesus Christ looked at us, when he saw us like Ruth, he saw us in our weakness, he saw us in our brokenness, he saw us in our aloneness, in our isolation, our fear, he's able to have compassion. Why was the Lord Jesus Christ able to have compassion on us? Because of the rest of the verse in Hebrews 5.2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. See, the Lord Jesus Christ could have compassion on us because he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Just like we are compassed with infirmity, he encompassed himself with infirmity. What an amazing thought. What an amazing thought that God Almighty would empty himself of all of his power to be weak like us. Those words are so dramatic when it says, he himself also. He himself emphasizes to us the surprise of it all, to see God himself becoming a man like us in weakness. Then the word also emphasizes his goal, his purpose in becoming a man. He has God wanted to step all the steps down the staircase till he was like us. The Lord Jesus Christ could not feel like he was there until he was there. And I can't really feel what you're going through unless I've been there also. To what level did he step down? The last part of the verse, compassed with infirmity. That's a description of you and me. You and me. You and I. We are compassed with infirmity. The Greek word compassed, perikeme it means to, to be surrounded with, completely surrounded with We are completely surrounded with weakness. All around us is weakness. He encompassed himself with weakness. He was was like us, weak and faint with hunger. He was weak and faint with fatigue. He was weak and faint with thirst, only without sin. He felt the pull of temptation, only unlike us, he always resisted it. He always resisted those temptations and never sinned, but it wore him out. And those resistances fatigued him. He didn't have to to do it. He didn't have to surround himself in our weaknesses, but he chose to. Why? So that he could have compassion on us. There was a day in his life when he was near the Sea of Galilee, and there there were great multitudes of people, and they came to him, and we read all about it in Matthew 15, verses 30 through 31, where it says that great multitudes came unto him having with them those who were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. That was quite a day. That was quite a day when people heard, Jesus is there, he's healing, he's healing the sick. And all of a sudden, crowds are beginning to form, and they're running to their friends and their family, and they're saying, Jesus is healing, come on. And we can see them going to the sick and their disabled friends and their family and saying, hurry up, this is your chance to be healed. And we can see them going to the blind, take my hand, I'll lead you to him. And we can see them going to the dumb, come with me, I'll take you to him. And we can see them going to the maim, hold on, I'll carry you to him. And we can see them go to the ones with cancer, with tuberculosis, with leprosy, and saying, come. And you can really feel the excitement of the verse that when they came to Jesus, that they threw the people down at Jesus' feet. And now it was a long day. In fact, it wasn't just a day. It stretched out to three days. And there's no food service carts going around. And everyone's starting to get just a little hungry. And because in all the excitement before coming to Jesus, no one said, let's pack some food. No one said, well, it might be a long time out there. We need to pack something to eat and a drink. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew that. And he looked on the multitudes with their hunger, and he looked at them with, their eyes, with his eyes of compassion, and he felt their hunger. And when it says in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. See, he said he had compassion on their hunger. He had compassion on their feeling of faintness because he had been hungry and faint like them. He had been that way before. He was sent by God the Father into the world to be like Boaz and have eyes of compassion. So, as soon as he began his ministry, his public ministry, John baptizes him in Matthew chapter 3. And what happens? God immediately sends him into a preparation course. And the preparation course, you take away the chapter division between chapter 3 and chapter 4, and you see it clearly as you read these words. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up, st- Matthew three sixteen till chapter 4, verse 2. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. See the word then at the start of verse one of chapter four. It means that as soon as he starts his public ministry, emerging from the waters of baptism, the spirit of God takes him by the hand and says, come on, we're going here. We're going to go here. This is your preparation course. You're not going to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. You're going to be hungry. Why? So he could gain the eyes of compassion from having been where we are when we're hungry. Because by that experience in the wilderness, he would be prepared to have the compassion that is spoken of in Matthew 15, 32. And Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days, and they have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. See, when he looked on the multitude, he not only saw their hunger and that they were on the edge of fainting; he felt that hunger. He felt what it like to be on the edge of fainting because he had been hungry like that in the wilderness before, and that's what gave him what Boaz had: eyes of compassion. And he had been so hungry in the past, he knew what it was like to almost faint. How was God able to know firsthand what it's like to faint in the way? Because he surrounded himself with weakness of getting faint from lack of food so he could one day look on the multitude of the Sea of Galilee and, and, and hadn't meeting for three days and say, I have compassion. I know just how you feel. I feel with them right now because I have felt that same hunger and that same faintness that they're feeling right now. And he didn't just surround himself with our weaknesses just to feel our hunger and our faintness with no food, but he went, he went on then to feed those 4,000 men with just seven loaves of bread and a few pieces of fish. And so he surrounds himself with our weakness so that he can also not just know how we feel, but by, so that he could also defeat our greatest enemy and accomplish our greatest deliverance. And this is in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for that he himself has suffered being tempted. He's able to succor them also that are tempted. Our greatest enemy, the devil. We're no match for the devil. We are no match at all for the devil. We can't defeat him. Our greatest bondage, death. And not having our sins reconciled. In order for us as men to have our greatest enemy destroyed, death, we needed a man to destroy the devil. Just as Israel stood paralyzed before their greatest enemy, Goliath, they needed a David to be their hero and defeat Goliath. We needed a David, our hero, to defeat our enemy, our spiritual Goliath. Our David hero was the Lord Jesus Christ. He partook of the same flesh, the same blood, as you and me, you and I, so that like David, our Lord Jesus could step out from among us as our fighter. And when David stepped out of the people of Israel to fight with Goliath, Goliath mocked David, and he said to him, in 1 Samuel 17, 42-44, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He's but a youth and ruddy, fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And just as Goliath mocked David for his young appearance and weakness of a youth. So the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, they mocked him for his young age when they said to him in John 8, 57, then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? They mocked him for his birth by the Holy Spirit when they said in John eight forty one. we be not born of fornication, illegitimate. We have one father, even God, They mocked him for his family and his poverty in Mark 6.3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of David, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. They mocked him for his hometown, John 1.46. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? They mocked him for the region he lived in, John 7.52. Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. But even though he was mocked, When he partook of flesh and blood and became like you and I, the Lord Jesus Christ stepped out from among us, our hero David, and destroyed our Goliath, the devil. And so it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, he also likewise himself, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, having been made a man just like you, just like me, so that he could step out from among us and destroy our greatest enemy. And then he uses his humanity to turn and offer his own blood to solve our greatest problem, being reconciled to God. It goes on, he verily he took on the nature of angels, he took on the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to me, made like unto his brethren, so he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So it was because of his humanity that he became a faithful and high priest because he suffered for us. And we all stand and we look at the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity and we say, Hallelujah, what a high priest. We look at him and we say, Hallelujah, what a high priest who became just like you, just like me, so that he could go through what we go through, able to have compassion, step out from among us, and be our David, and destroy our Goliath, and come as a man, as a man, in his, with his own spotless blood in his hands, and present his blood to God the Father, as full payment for their sins, to reconcile us to God. He went through this. He did this for us. He went through three steps. To become a man, he stepped into flesh and blood and was able to have a, com- a, com- a compassion. As a man, he stepped out from among us to defeat the devil. And as a man, he stepped up to God to reconcile us to God by offering his own blood. He stepped into our flesh, he stepped out from among us to defeat our enemy, and he stepped up from us to reconcile us to God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when we see him as a man who suffered everything for you and for me that we suffer, when we see him as that kind of a high priest who went through every suffering that you and I have gone through, we have one response in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may may obtain what Ruth was looking for, mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. That's our response. Our response is bold coming to obtain mercy. What Ruth said she was out for that morning. Mercy, grace, we so desperately need. She's so desperately needed. We come boldly to obtain the grace because we so desperately need that grace in the nick of time. That's what it means literally to help in time of need. In the nick of time. In this chapter, we've seen Boaz as a priest unto God. We talked about that. When he went to his people, he said, the Lord bless you. They said, the Lord be with you. He said, the Lord bless you. That's a priest unto God. Today, we've seen the most important quality of a priest unto God is the ability to have compassion. And we've seen that what it takes for a priest unto God to get this ability to have compassion, compassed, surrounded, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. We see what it takes to be a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion when we read the word behooved. Absolutely necessary, Hebrews 2.17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be, a faithful, might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.